Uh, isn't God good? You, uh, you start a sermon series on screwing up and making mistakes, and uh, I have you sitting down when you're supposed to be standing up, and my mic's not on, batteries are dead. Well, see, there we go. God is, this was all planned so that we could just have some illustrations. No, it wasn't, but that's how life is. Life is full of mistakes and screw-ups and failures, and we're going to look at some of that today, but there's good news in all of it. Have you heard of the fresh start effect? It's the reason that we make resolutions at New Year's. Or start going to the gym on a Monday, or even uh, break up after a holiday. According to the Wharton School uh, research study with the name Temporal Landmarks Motivate Aspirational Behavior, we are much more likely to do something to improve our lives immediately after some significant date on the calendar. And whether that date be something as big as New Year's, or as personal as our own birthday. The fresh start effect motivates us to try to be the person that we want to be. We really feel like at certain times of year that we can have a fresh start. Think about it. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Ever made a New Year's resolution? Okay, most people. How many of you have made a January 22nd resolution? Probably not. And if you've ever gone on a diet, when did you start it? Probably on a Monday after picking out all weekend, right? How how many start a diet on Friday? And ask yourself, when you've had some nagging thing that's been on your to-do list forever, and you want to get it done, when do you promise yourself you're going to start? You're going to start like after you get back from vacation, right? Or, or maybe uh, you're going to start, um, well, at the start of the year. We, we set times that are into the future with some special temporal landmark to mark the date. Research shows that we're actually much more likely to make a fresh start on one of those dates, except except if we've done really well just before that date. So if you step on the scale Sunday night and it shows that you've lost three pounds that week, you are probably not going to start a diet on Monday. If if you've won Employee of the Year for 2021, you're probably not going to sign up for extra training for 2022. You see, failure is important for the fresh start effect. You have to, in some way, be a failure, whether that be in dieting or business or even in our spiritual lives. So in a way, you could say that that's good news because we've all known failure. We've all screwed up and failed to be the people that we want to be, the people that God wants us to be. And we do it over and over again. I was going to call this message series something like Fresh Starts, God of Second Chances. And Pastor Julie said, that's not good enough. 
Who gets it right the second time? She said, it's more like the 2022nd time. And she's right. Over and over again, we screw up. And over and over again, God forgives us and gives us a fresh start. And today we're going to look at three persons in the Bible who, who really screwed up and yet who received another chance from God. The first one we're going to look at is the unnamed woman in John chapter 8 who was caught in the act of adultery. In today's world, adultery can, can screw up your life. And if it doesn't screw up yours, it certainly screws up somebody else's. But in those days, adultery could also get you killed. It was a capital offense. This woman in the story is dragged into the temple courts by the Pharisees and made to stand in front of Jesus and the crowd. And we aren't given many details, but, but it says that she was caught in the act of adultery, so perhaps she's naked. Or maybe she managed to grab just a scrap of, of clothes. Either way, she's vulnerable, she's scared, and yes, she is guilty. She screwed up, and the Pharisees, they wanted to pay. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. She gets a second chance from Jesus. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. As the King James translation puts it, go and sin no more. Now, I don't know if she ever committed adultery again, but I do know that she sinned again. She needed a second chance and, and a third chance and, and a fourth chance and I don't know how many more. If she's anything like us, she probably needed 2,022 more chances. So what do you think Jesus did then? Do you think that he suddenly changed his tune and he says, look, I, I gave you a second chance, but three strikes, you're out. Boys, grab those rocks. It's stoning time. No, no, of course he didn't do that. Hebrews 13.8 reminds us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That same Jesus that saved her the first time would save her the next time. And that same Jesus is there for you and me too. Because in some way we're all like that woman. And I'm not saying that you committed adultery maybe you have but in some way we've all failed to be the person that god calls us to be we've broken god's laws we've hurt other people we've made wrong choices we've neglected important things 
And we stand before the Lord in shame, expecting condemnation. But instead we hear, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I don't, and I know it's not because our screw-ups, our sins are so much less than hers or anyone else's. That God forgives us because our sins really don't matter. They're just small ones. No, God forgives us because God is God. And even our worst sins, as 1 John 1 says, are forgiven and we're purified by what Christ has done. That scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember King David? He committed adultery, just like that that woman in front of Jesus did. But he went beyond that. To cover up his sin of adultery, after Bathsheba gets pregnant, David brought her husband home from the, the war. He gave him leave so that David would have plausible deniability for Bathsheba being pregnant. But out of respect for his fellow soldiers who were still fighting on the front lines, Uriah refused to go home. So David had him killed. He ordered Uriah to the front of the battle, and then he had all the other soldiers withdraw so that Uriah would be killed. And God knew he did that. And so God sends Nathan to David to bring him to repentance. We find that story in 2 Samuel. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he'd bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay back that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, You are that man. And David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Even after having committed adultery and murder, David is given another chance to be the man after God's own heart that the Lord knew he could be. Unfortunately, the child born out of that adultery between Bathsheba and David dies Sin has consequences, even if God forgives us. Our actions can hurt others, and forgiveness doesn't prevent that. But God does provide us a fresh start. Even if we keep repeating the same screw-up 2,022 times. In the account of, of David and in the woman caught in adultery, as far as we know, they didn't repeat that same error 
but they might have screwed up in other ways. But the hardest thing for us is when, when we do repeat the same thing over and over again, when we do the things that we don't want to do, and we keep on doing them. You say, this time I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm not going to say those, those hurtful words, but out they come, and you've done it again. We say, I can change this time. I'm not going to do that again, ever. But you do. You've done it again. And you might not even be aware of how you're screwing up your life over and over again. Other people can see it, but, but you just keep on making the same mistake. You're like Abraham. Abraham was a great follower of God. We call him Father Abraham, the father of of the Hebrew people, the father of faith. In Hebrews 11, he is celebrated for so trusting in God that he'd be willing to sacrifice even his own son, trusting that God could raise him from the dead if that's what it took to accomplish God's purposes. Last week, we talked about making a covenant between God and ourselves. How God says, I'll be your God and you be my people. Well, well, it really starts with Abraham. Abraham receives this, this great promise from God. Genesis chapter 12 says, And the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now that's quite a promise. Everyone in the world is going to be blessed through you. And later Abraham is reminded of that promise that not only will, will God bless him and bless the nations through him, but that he himself will become a great nation. God says, look up and count the stars in the sky if you can. That's how many descendants you'll have. Genesis 15 says, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted as righteous, counted him as righteous because of his faith. He believed God, and he was counted as righteous because of his faith. That's, that's what a person of faith Abram was. Abraham was a great guy. But he had one particular way in which he screwed up over and over and over again. He kept telling everyone that his wife was his sister. A little odd, but it got him in a lot of trouble. Because then people would hit on his wife. And then when they found out that she was actually married, well, it just was, was not good. And, and he didn't do this because he was a weirdo. He did this because he didn't trust God to keep God's promises and to keep him safe. In this one instance, he trusted in God in so many other ways. <laughs> I mean, amazing faith. And yet when it came to his wife, he didn't trust God. See, he felt that, that his, his wife Sarah was so beautiful that if other people found out that they were married, they might kill him so that she'd become available. Listen to this story in Genesis chapter 12. 
Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you're my sister, so that I'll be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarah was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Here's this great man of faith. But he doesn't trust God to take care of him. So he tells this lie. He, he lets people believe that he's just the brother of Sarah. So then they'll treat him nice instead of maybe killing him. And he doesn't do this once, though. Well, he does it again. Just a, a few chapters later, in chapter 20, he's in a new town. There's a new king. A new opportunity. Now Abram moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abram said to his wife Sarah, said of his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent to Sarah and took her. <coughs> but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said, you're as good as dead, because the woman you have taken, she's a married woman. Excuse me. <coughs> Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all of his officials, and when he told them what had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abram and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What was your reason for doing this? And Abram replied, I said to myself, There is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Abraham was such a man of faith. And yet, when it came to his wife, he couldn't stop telling the same half-truth. He kept passing her off as not married, as just his sister. And we go, okay, he's done it twice. Uh, getting second chances, that's, that's okay. But then he confesses that he has continually done this everywhere, that they have lived for the past 20-some years. He said, And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he's my brother. He's been doing this over and over again. Now, I don't know many, how many towns they lived in. We know that they traveled all over. Probably wasn't 2,022 towns 
But still, it was a lot. And still, in spite of failing over and over again, God doesn't give up on Abraham because in the very next chapter, in chapter 21, Abraham and Sarah finally have that long-promised child, Isaac. I said, it's good news that that it takes failures and screw-ups and sins to have that fresh start effect. And that's true. But the really good news is not that we try harder after New Year's or on a Monday. The really good news is that we have a God who delights in giving us another chance. So where have you failed this past year? Or this past week? Or even this past day? Where have you failed? Where have you screwed up? Well, God says to you, just like to that woman caught in adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You've got a fresh start. It's a new year for you. It's your birthday. Start over again. Start over again. It's a temporal landmark by which to motivate our aspirational behavior. No, God doesn't say that. God just says, I forgive you. I forgive you. Time to start again. I'm giving you another chance. Chance number 2022, if that's what it takes. I forgive you. That's what God says. And so, I say to you, fellow screw-ups and failures and, and sinners, celebrate that God. Celebrate that God gives us second chances and third and fourth and 2,022nd chances. Celebrate and be thankful. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we have not lived perfect lives. Sometimes we've intentionally gone against your will. Other times we've just gotten so caught up in in worry or fear or anger or other things that, that we've hurt other people, that we've told lies and half-truths and got other people in trouble. Lord, there's so many ways in which we wish we would have done better. But you say that you don't condemn us. You say that the price has already been paid for our mistakes by Christ. You say to us simply, it's time for a fresh start. Let's start again. Go and sin no more. Thank you, Lord, for the way that your Spirit renews us. May we always be grateful. Amen.